Well, before we get started with our worship service, let me go through a couple of announcements. Uh, First, we are grateful to have Pastor Edward here this morning to share about his ministry with FCA, and you'll hear about that more in just a few minutes. Um, His wife, Regina, is here also, so please say hello after the service. Um, Secondly, the Joy Group has an event coming up on the 26th, and if I knew the date today, I I would tell you that was coming up. I think it's coming up soon. Um, It's Tuesday, so if you don't know about that, please... Get in touch with Midge and, um, and get the information on that. Um, lastly, our midweek gathering on Wednesday evenings has begun, and it's been a great time of fellowship, uh, of a time to learn from God's Word, it's time to be together. So if you haven't been able to come, we would love for you to come. Um, if you have been coming, we're grateful Uh, Please join us on Wednesday nights at 545 for the beginning of the meal, and we'll have a time of teaching for adults and all ages, so we would love for you to be there for that. That is all I have to announce, so we'll take a few moments now as the music plays to gather our hearts and our minds and to ask God to help us to worship him this morning. Let's do that now.
Would you please stand for the call to worship this morning from Psalm 29. This is God's call to us to worship him. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. Would you please pray with me? God, you are the God of all glory. And we have come to worship you this morning. You have brought us here by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place with worship, that you would fill this place with faith and trust, and that you would challenge our hearts, that you would shape our hearts as we worship you this morning, as we hear your word preached, as we sing these hymns uh, that have been uh, taken out of your word. God, we ask in all these things that you would be glorified and honored by uh, the things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we pray and sing this morning. We ask that in your name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we'll sing our first hymn, which is hymn 92, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let's worship with hymn 92.
Amen. You may be seated. If you would take your bulletin, the next portion of our service is a confession of faith. I'm sorry, a corporate confession of sin. And there is no better way to prepare our hearts and our minds for enjoying the Lord's table than confessing our sins together as a body. And so we have this opportunity to come before God in everything that we are with honesty, knowing that God knows everything about us. He knows our past, our present, our future. He is not ashamed for us to come into his presence, and we ought not be ashamed to share with him everything that is on our hearts and our minds, and to feel and to experience his grace and forgiveness and the freedom that that brings and the joy that he leads us to his table with. So I would invite you to read this prayer with me, and then we'll have a few moments to silently confess our sins, and then we'll hear God's assurance of pardon. So would you read and pray with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Let's go before God in some time of silent prayer. God, you assure us in your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that is what you do. We thank you, Lord, for this forgiveness and for this life that you give. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have a missions report, and I'll invite Dr. Suttle up to introduce... Good morning, and it is a real pleasure for me to introduce to our church congregation this morning our newest missionary for First Presbyterian Church, and he is a local missionary serving the communities here in Louisville, Winston County at Louisville High School and also in Starkville at Starkville High School in Octavia County and the schools that are there. We have Edward Williams with us this morning. Edward was born here in Mississippi, raised here in Mississippi, went to Mississippi State. I'm going to let him tell us just for a few minutes here about what he is doing. Thank you, Dr. Sutherland, to pastor this church, to the leaders, to all of the parishioners of this wonderful congregation. We thank God for the privilege of being here. 
Again, my name is Edward Williams. I am a native of Mississippi, born and bred and raised in Mississippi. I grew up in a small community called Satarsha, Satarsha, Mississippi. If anybody ever heard of Satarsha, you win the door prize today. <laughs> yeah, not many would heard of Satarsha. It's in, it's in Yazoo County. Amen. And in, in 88, I got the privilege of receiving a scholarship to play football for Mississippi State. Um, and we've been gracious and privileged to have the opportunity to become a member of FCA while I was at Mississippi State uh, playing football there. Uh, FCA made a difference in my life. Uh, I'm a, I'm, all my life I've been in church. But when I came to school in Starksville, I, I had no church to connect with. I didn't know anyone that was in church, but FCA became my local church. It was a place that I received the word of God on a weekly basis, sharing with great men and women of God the word of God. And it is my prayer and my desire that God would use me in like manners to make a difference in young men's and women's lives through FCA. Uh, again, I am the FCA representative for Octibaha in Winston County. Uh, I'm housed in Winston County School as well as the Octibaha County School District. Uh, I'm here two to three days a week, vice versa, two or three days a week in Starksville. And what does that exactly mean? That means that I get the privilege of going into the school system and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ on a daily basis to the students of Winston County as well as Octibaha County. Uh, I get the chance to have huddles. Uh, huddles are a group of kids coming together, and I sit down with them and share the word of God. Every Wednesday uh, at Louisville High School, I sit down with the football team, and we share the word of God. And also, we are, we are starting our huddle with the coaches. The coaches have consented, and they agreed to meet on a weekly basis where I sit down with all the coaches and share the word of God. We're already doing it in Starksville with athletes and coaches, and we hopefully to reach every sport. That's baseball, that's basketball, that's soccer, softball, uh, volleyball, reach every sport. Now, in doing so, uh, no man is an island. That means that I, I will not be able to do that on my own, so as I go about the Winston County area, I'll be looking for support, uh, volunteering support, i.e., someone that can say on, on Wednesdays at 2.30, I can come and share with the volleyball team. I can come and share with the basketball team, huddle group, and so forth. So therefore, we can make sure the word of God is reaching everyone at every place. Um, I'm, I'm elated. FCA made a difference in my life, and I want to make that difference in other children's lives. So, a couple minutes, about a minute of background. I'm an ordained pastor, been pastoring for 15 years, preaching gospel for 30 years. Uh, I'm a certified mental health therapist. I've been in mental health for 30 years and been doing therapy now for about eight years. And so, therefore, I'm also a former Division I athlete and a father. So therefore, I have an awful lot to offer these young men and young women that come into our school district. And our mission is to go internal, to go external. So we're going, meeting them where they are in school and hopefully instilling in them the word of God that they can take it to the families and the community at large. Uh, so far, 
uh, we have been reaching students and coaches, and we are excited about what God is doing. I'm so excited to be in Winston County here in Louisville, having the opportunity to share the word of God. I have met some amazing men's and women's of God that have helped me along the way. Many of you won't, many of you know him, may not know him, I'm not sure, y'all may not know him, but this guy by the name of Kyle Higginbottom, who is my state director. Y'all never heard of him, sure. He's my state director. Kyle has been amazing. He has literally guided me along, introduced me to uh, potential men and women that could support uh, the mission, the ministry of FCA, and to help me become funded that I can do what God has called me to do. There's another gentleman here who has taken me literally under his wing and supported me by the name. Y'all probably haven't heard of him either, but uh, Will Hill. Y'all never heard that name, have you? <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, Mayor Hill has been a blessing to me. He has been a blessing and very instrumental, instrumental in me becoming fully funded by using his radio station to share what we're doing, to share our mission, to share the vision to an uh, audience that I probably would never reach. And because they follow him, he's able to connect with them and help me to reach them. And he's personally has supported, uh, he, he even organized a prayer breakfast where People all over the community have came to hear the mission and have gotten on board and support. And I salute you, Mayor here for your effort. Now, my desire is that others also would see the vision that FCA has a vision to reach coaches and athletes and then reach the world. When I say coach and athlete, every student, every teacher, every custodian, every cafeteria worker, it's our desire to reach them, to reach the whole entire world. So what do they get in Edward Williams when I go into the school? So number one, they get an ordained pastor, seminary trained, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. So they get someone that knows the word of God, that know how to share the word of God in the love of God to reach them in the spirit of God. They get a certified mental health therapist. I'm able to identify uh, different diagnoses, depression and anxiety, which sometimes hides itself. I'm able to uh, uh, diagnose that, but not only diagnose that, to give coping skills, strategies, and techniques of how to deal with them. And so not only that, they get a former Division I athlete. Listen, I've been where a lot of these athletes are trying to get to. I know the highs. And I know the lows of being an athlete. I know how to be an athlete, and I know how to be a student, and I know how to balance them. So I can talk to them about that. But fourthly, I'm a father. I'm a father. I have two beautiful daughters. A lot of the children I'll be working with, unfortunately, very unfortunately, will not have father figures nor fathers in their lives. As a young man, my father died when I was nine years old, so I was left fatherless. But I had so many father figures that stepped up, that was able to operate in my life, that I did not feel like I was fatherless. Don't want any child to feel that they can't have that father figure in their lives. And just as others was in my life, I want to be that type of person in their lives. Every statistic I ever looked at lets us know that this child suffer for the lack of a father being in their lives. Emotionally, educationally, behaviorally, socially, 
in every aspect they suffer without that being in their life. I'm praying to God that I could be that condor standing in the gap, that mediator standing in the gap. And then, last but not least, role model. What I talk, I walk. You're not going to go out on the street and see me doing anything different or hear anything different. I have lived that life ever since I accepted Christ. Ask anyone that you will ever know, they will say the exact same thing about Edward Williams. He always walked around with a smile. He always got a kind word. He's always loving. That's who I am. And I thank God. I'm, I'm just a vessel. I'm just a vessel. So here we go. I need your prayers. I need your prayers. I'm a praying man. I believe in the power of prayer. I've seen what prayer can do. In this journey, you can't expect to do God's work and not run into obstacles and not expect to run into challenges. He te teaches us in his word that we're going to face tri tribulation. But I'm always of good cheer because I know we've already overcome. So I need your prayers. Number two, I need your influences. Everyone in this sanctuary has a circle of influence somewhere with someone. If you would just take the time to tell someone within your circle of influence about FCA, it'll make a difference. Number three, we need your generous support. We need your generous support. FCA is funded off of donors, supporters, people giving to the ministry for the cause of the mission. I need your support. No one has to break the bank. If every person here decide they're going to do $20 a month, just hypothetically speaking, it's more than enough to put you well on the way to be fully funded with FCA. More than enough. None of the funds comes into every William pocket. Nothing. Everything goes to our corporate headquarters. FCA is, is, is on the upscale. It is a 501c3. Everything that you do can be tax written off, every single thing. At any point in time, you want to see what you have contributed. We can give that to you right there on the spot. Anything. Just know that it's a worthy cause. It's for our children, who is our next generation. What we instill in them now is going to spill over into our community later. They're going to be on our jobs. They're going to marry some of our children, some of our grandchildren, some of our great-grandchildren. They're going to be in the community. So if we can reach them now, they can become better productive citizens in this community. If there's no other greater uh, 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 commodity than our children. So if you're willing to do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Back in the back, I have some business card. On the back of the business card is a QR code. For those that know what a QR code is, um, if you just screenshot, and I, I say that not insultingly because everybody don't know what that is. If you screenshot that on your phone, it brings up uh, a, a copy of my profile, and it also tells you how you can support. And for those that are not uh, technically savvy, uh, well, that's still falling technically savvy, but uh, you can type in uh, myfca, myfca.org, and FCA is going to come up, and in the, research, the search box, put my name. 
and then all my information will come up and how you can support and so forth. Um, uh, my address is also on those, those cards. So maybe you say, I, I want to give, um, but I want to give a check. My address is on there. Uh, you can send it to me. I give it to my uh, corporate director, and he will make sure that it get to where it needs to go. Again, everything is on 100% uh, uh, um, upscale up without reproach. Uh, you can give an account, we can give an account to everything that's done. Everything is tax deductible and so forth. So I ask that you would pray sincerely to consider the vision the FCA is doing, what they're doing, and how I can be a blessing uh, to help our community by helping our children receive Christ. Uh, thank you for your time. Hopefully I have not been too long. Hopefully I have not taken up too much of your time. Uh, I'm here after worship. If anyone want to speak to me or talk personally, I'm open. If some point in time you want to meet with me, I'm in, I'm in Winston County at least two to three times a week. Call me up. Say, let's do lunch. Can we sit down with coffee and talk some more about this? I'm open to do that with anyone that's available. God bless all of you. Thank you, Edward. That was wonderful. Well, we have time now to give our tithes and offerings. And as we do this, we remember uh, the grace of God, all that he has blessed us with and given us. And so we give in that, uh, with that in mind. So take some time to um, pray, to um, give, and we'll continue on. So let's do that now.
Please pray with me. God, we are so grateful for all that you have given us. We pray, especially this morning, that you would bless Edward and his family, that you would bless FCA, and specifically that you would give all that uh, Edward needs for his ministry here in Winston County and Octibaha County. Lord, would you give him an abundance of support financially and spiritually and relationally, that you would bless him with overflowing abundance um, and God, would you use the tithes and offerings that we give today for your glory in this regard and also in this church, in our town, and across our world as we support other missionaries and other people who are spreading the gospel and teaching and counseling. So God, you are at work. It is great to see and encouraging. And would you continue to be, uh, would you continue to bless all that we give? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we'll continue worshiping with him 598, which is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. It's him 598. Let's sing. I'd invite you all to turn with me now to the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis. We are continuing our series working through the book of Genesis. We come to the famous story now of Noah and the flood. We'll read this chapter together. Before we read it, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mighty word. It's like a hammer that crushes a rock. It is powerful 
And so we pray that you would make it powerful to our hearts this day. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning in verse 1 of Genesis 6, hear God's word. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kinds, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up, which shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And this ends this reading of God's holy word. Can we hear me okay? No. My mic is on. My mic is 
How about now? Can we hear me now? Hallelujah. (laughs) Don't mind me. Having... (laughs) There's an old joke that microphones are the devil's playground, so... Today's subject, who are the Nephilim? I am kidding. We are not... (laughs) We are not talking about who the Nephilim are, not even over coffee. Um, There are children in the room. St. Augustine said, Undoubtedly, the ark is a symbol of the city of God on its pilgrimages in history, a figure of the church which was saved by the wood on which there hung the mediator between God and men, himself man, Christ Jesus. So Augustine says two important things there. He says that the story of Noah and the ark, while it's a historical, factual event, it's also a picture of the church, and it's a pointer to Christ and what he's done for us. And and we need to see both. So how can we see it? Two points today. In this story, I want us to see the heart of God and the pilgrimage of God's people. So number one, the heart of God. The story starts with hope. Uh, We didn't read chapter 5, but at the end of chapter 5, a man named Lamech has a son, verse 29 of chapter 5, and he called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So Lamech, in the midst of a terrible situation, As the earth is growing more and more corrupt, he has hope that perhaps through his son, the promise of Genesis 3.15 could be fulfilled. Up out of the ground, God can bring hope to this fallen and, at this point, terrible world. So in our passage, in Genesis 6.5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So this is a call back to the creation story. At the end of each day, God sees, and behold, the creation is very good. It's good, it's good, at the end it's very good. Now he's looking and beholding and saying, everything's evil now. Everything is corrupt. The thoughts and intentions of man's heart is continually evil. Derek Kidner, the commentator I'll refer to a few times, says... What God decided to destroy in the flood had been virtually self-destroyed already because of man's wickedness. So now we move through the text, we get to see God's heart in verse 6. It says, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. That probably makes Presbyterians a little bit uncomfortable when you read that. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And then it says, and it grieved God to his heart. That's a huge statement. Theologians have always been very careful uh, to say that man or that God does not experience emotions and time and the like the same way that human beings do. But you can't get around the fact that in this text it said God was grieved to his heart. The word grieved could be translated more graphically. Uh, the NET translation translates that God was highly offended. It's a good way of putting it. 
The NIV says God's heart was filled with pain. Simply the word means to hurt. God's heart is hurting here. God is saying, my heart is hurting. And Derek Kidner summarizes the phrase, what we're supposed to take from this is, already as early as the flood, God is suffering on man's account. So this brings up a really difficult question about God. The scriptures teach that God is in absolute control of history, that he's sovereign, that everything that has happened and will ever happen was preordained in the counsel of God before the foundation of the world, and that he can save anyone he chooses by his power. Yet, this text, God is saying that his heart was hurt by the rebellion and wickedness of men. So how can God's sovereignty and him grieving over the sin of man both be true at the same time? Well, the best answer I've ever seen for that comes from Jonathan Edwards, 18th century preacher, theologian, writer, and his book on the end for which God created the world. He simply says that you have to remember God's ultimate plan, his chief end, his goal with creation, above all other things, is his glory. In Romans 9 and other texts will tell us that God can be glorified nation of sinners. God can be glorified in judgment. So the end in and of itself is God's glory, not man's judgment. It's man's judgment insofar as it adds to God's glory. But Lamentations 3, a little talked about text other than the great is your faithfulness part of it, has a really striking section. Talking, and you've got to remember, Lamentations is Jeremiah's book about the destruction of Jerusalem by the armed forces of Babylon. This is God's holy city being destroyed. There are people starving in the streets. And Jeremiah the prophet is trying to wrestle with this. What is God doing here? What's God allowing here? In Lamentations 3.31 and following, it says, The Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Key phrase, verse 33. For God does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. Again, Presbyterians get very uncomfortable. He does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. That last verse there, literally translated, it would say God does not afflict or grieve the children of men from his heart. In other words, destruction and judgment is not the primary bent of God's heart. And you see that come out in our passage in verse 8. In the midst of mankind rebelling and God saying that his heart is hurting, verse 8, it says, but. It's a great theological word, isn't it? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He found favor. Uh, he found grace would be another way of translating it. He found pity. In the midst of God's pain, God shows pity to Noah. And through that pity to Noah, pity to the world that would come after him. Kidner says, if as few as eight souls are saved in this story, seven of these owe it to a single one. They're saved because God showed grace first to Noah. And it's like that throughout the scriptures. God will show mercy to the masses through one man. You see it over and over again. And of course you see it most clearly in the gospel. Because of one man, one favored man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, God shows mercy to the entire world. 
through him. Jesus shows us in his baptism that he's going to take the ultimate flood of God's wrath to fulfill all righteousness so that we can find an ark of salvation in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, as Christ called it in his day. Amidst, as Luther said, the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Now it's interesting in verses 15 and 16 that the passage records the precise dimensions of the ark that Noah is building. I mean, it's not information that we really need. Noah needed the information. We don't necessarily need the information, but it says that it's to be 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits, that it's to have a roof and it's to have a door. Now if we understand cubits correctly, the ark was over 500 feet long. It's a big vessel, built almost like a temple, uh, the commentators will point out. One commentator said the ark was big enough to hold over 100,000 sheep. But St. Augustine said, when you boil it down, the ark was the size of a man. And what he meant by that was the size of the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is ultimately the ark of our salvation. And Revelation 21 talks about God's construction of the new heavens and the new earth. Like the ark, God gives precise dimensions for it. There's a place where God's people can go to be safe from the judgment of God. And in Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, on his summary of what the new heavens and the earth are going to be like, according to Revelation 21, this is what he says. The city's exact dimensions are measured by an angel and reported to be 12,000 stadia. The equivalent of 1,400 miles or 2,200 kilometers in length, width, and height. Even though these proportions may have symbolic importance, this doesn't mean they can't be literal. In fact, Scripture emphasizes that the dimensions are given in man's measurement. Revelation 21:17. This new heavens and new earth will be a metropolis the size in the middle of the United if we were to put it in the middle of the United States, it would stretch from Canada to Mexico and from the Appalachian Mountains to the California border. The New Jerusalem is all the square footage anyone could ask for. Even more astounding is the city's 1,400 mile height. Some people suggest this is the reach of the city's tallest towers and spires, rising above buildings of lesser height. If so, they argue that it's more like a pyramid than a cube. We don't need to worry that heaven will be crowded. The ground level of the city will be nearly 2 million square miles. This is 40 times bigger than England and 15,000 times bigger than London. It's 10 times as big as France or Germany and far larger than India. But remember, that's just the ground level. Given the dimensions of a 1,400-mile cube, if the city consisted of different levels, we don't know this, and if each story were a generous 12 feet high, the city could have over 600,000 stories. If they were on different levels, billions of people could occupy the New Jerusalem with many square miles per person. If these numbers are figurative, not literal, and that's certainly possible, surely they are still meant to convey that the home of God's people will be extremely large and roomy. Yes, God brings judgment upon sin. But God's heaven is big enough for you. 
And God's heart is big enough for you. Can you believe that? That's the first point. Here's the second thing. So if we learn that God's heart is gracious and breaks over sin, what can we learn about our purpose in this world, the pilgrimage of God's people? Four things, and they're each brief. We are to start walking, we're to get in the ark, we're to bring our families, and we're to look at the rainbow. One, start walking. Genesis 6-9 summarizes the life of Noah in a very simple phrase. It says he walked with God. No greater eulogy could ever be written for someone. He walked with God. George Whitfield preached a sermon on this passage in 300 years ago where he said walking with God implies three things. That you have a relationship with God, that you have a steady relationship with God, and that you have a growing relationship with God. First, it's a relationship with God because you can't walk with a person unless you've met them, unless you trust them, unless they trust you, unless you have a relationship. It's a steady relationship with God because in 6.9, the verb, the way it's written in the Hebrew, is, it's written as a continuous action. It can be translated Abraham, or that Noah walked to and fro with God. He walked around with God. He walked steadily with God. This wasn't a one-time stroll. It was an every th everyday thing. He was walking with God. And lastly, it's a growing relationship with God because when you walk, you progress. You move forward. You're not standing still. You're actually going somewhere. So when you walk, it's a progression. So it's a walk with God. Second, he calls us to get in the ark. Spurgeon boiled down the Christian life to one question. Are you in the ark or are you not? And that ark is Christ. Are you in Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? Or do you not? If you're outside the ark, you're in the flood. If you're inside the ark, the flood can't touch you. Remember a Puritan writer that said, once you're inside that ark, not one drop of the wrath of God can touch you. And Kidner says, Noah goes into the ark not as a mere survivor, but as a bearer of God's promise for the new age. So once you're in the ark, it doesn't just mean, well, I'm a survivor, I'll be okay. It means no. You are now a witness to what God is doing in this world. That he's working salvation through his people and through his ark in this world. And that's how we want to structure our lives. Such that no matter what disasters we face, no matter what floods it appears are looming on the horizon, we can say his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. So if we're walking with God, we're getting in the ark. Thirdly, we're called to bring our families. God doesn't just save Noah. He saves Noah's family. The, Noah, the story with Noah's family doesn't end the way he would have liked necessarily. But they survived the flood. And Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, Noah constructed an ark for the saving of his family. Are you constructing your life and your household in such a way that you're not getting in the way of God saving your household? Are your kids and grandkids going to be able to look back and not say, my family was perfect, but at least be able to say, my parents, my grandparents, they wanted me to be a believer. 
They wanted me to come to Christ. Now, I heard Tim Keller say years ago, with all the deathbed visitations he had done as a pastor, he had never once heard somebody say, I just wish I'd have spent more time at the office. I wish I'd have spent more time in my life just obsessing over money. You know, it's always what? I wish I'd have paid more attention to my wife, to my husband, to my kids. Bring your family onto the ark. And then finally, look at the rainbow. In Genesis 9, we did not read it, but God gives the rainbow as a sign of God's covenant to never destroy the earth again by a flood. And I say, look at the rainbow. Look at God's sign of promise that he will never again destroy the earth through a flood. But what's interesting in Genesis 9 is that God just doesn't just tell Noah to look at the rainbow. God says he is going to look at the rainbow. He's going to look at the rainbow and remember his covenant that he instituted with Noah and with all the earth through him. Genesis 9, 13 and following says, God says, I've set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. Verse 16. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So the rainbow is a sign it's like a sacrament. It's a visible picture of an invisible reality of God's promise. You know, in the New Testament, Peter tells us that baptism corresponds to the flood in that through water we are saved. But also, this supper in some ways corresponds to the flood and to Noah's Ark and especially to the rainbow. Because in this sign and seal of the Lord's table, we are seeing a visible picture of God's salvation, of God's covenant. That not only we're called to remember what Christ has done for us, but God himself sees the sacrament and is obligated to remember time and time again his pledge, his promise, his covenant to save all of God's people. This table is an ark that in the midst of the biggest, we could be in the midst of the biggest storm we've ever been in in our life. Yet we could come and eat and drink the salvation of the living God. In the midst of your pain and suffering, you can say, see how God suffers on man's account for us. In the bread and the cup, you see the heart of God for you broken and bleeding you see something even greater than the rainbow Robert Murray McShane great Scottish preacher in a sermon on the text where Jesus says in the gospel my God my God why have you forsaken me as he hangs on the cross McShane says this dear friends let us look into the ocean through which Christ waited for us he was without any comforts of God on the cross. No feeling that God loved him. No feeling that God pitied him. No feeling that God supported him. God was his son before. Now the son had become all darkness. Not a smile from his father. Not a kind look. 
Not a kind word. Look at Jesus. Nobody ever loved God the way he did and got this from God. Nobody ever loved men the way he did and got this from men. Jesus heard the judge say, Depart from me, ye cursed. Go to the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what Christ heard. That is the hell through which Christ suffered. And McShane says, Dear friends, I feel like a little child casting a stone into some bottomless ravine in the mountainside, listening to hear it fall, but listening in vain, because the ocean of Christ's suffering is unfathomable. From the broken bread and the poured out wine, do you not hear the cry arise, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me and do you not hear the answer for you for you there's room in the ark for you there's room in the new heavens and the new earth for you there's room in God's heart for you and there's room at this table for you let us pray Father, you see this table. You see the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the new covenant poured out in his blood. The question is, do we see it? Grant that we would have eyes to see and hearts to receive the Lord Jesus Christ offered to us simply to be received by faith. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Turn with me now to hymn number 521, and we will sing the first and second stanza before we come to the table. 521. Please be seated. Well, we come now to the Lord's table. And uh, just to remind you, this is not the Presbyterian table. 
This is not First Presbyterian Church's table. This is the Lord's table. So all those who have been baptized, have professed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and belong to Him, and are endeavoring to live lives that are glorified to Him, are invited to this table. If you are not here today as a believer, we are glad you're here. Welcome. Please come back. But we'd ask as these elements, as these trays pass through the rows, that you'd simply let them pass by. Because the Apostle Paul in the New Testament gives us warnings uh, that this table is not to be partaken of unworthily. As for believers, if you are living today in gross, unrepentant sin, then we'd ask that you take this time to repent of your sin and let the elements pass by. But if you've confessed your sins to God, repented of them, even if you're here today and you're sorrowful and you're struggling and you're burdened and you're weary and you're heavy laden and maybe you're in the midst of a storm, this table is for you. This table is exactly what you need. Because God has ordained this table to be a means through which He spiritually nourishes His people through the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So come and welcome to His table. Before we partake, let us pray. Father, we thank You for inviting us now. We thank You, Lord Jesus Christ, for inviting us now to your table, that we might feed upon you by faith. Would you consecrate now these ordinary elements of bread and of the cup to the holy use of your people partaking of your body and blood? For we ask it in your name. Amen. As we receive the words of institution, I'd ask you as the elements pass, take the bread, hold on to it, and uh, so that we can all eat together at the end. And of course, I'll let you know when. The same goes for the cup. Now, on the night in which our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
of Christ for you. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The body of Christ for you. body of Christ for you. Take and eat. In like manner after the supper, the Lord Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. For as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
tread the winepress of God's wrath for you, the blood of Christ. He tread the winepress of God's wrath for you, the blood of Christ. blood of Christ. Drink from it, all of you. Let us pray. Father, you have fed us by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. May you grant us strength in the midst of this flood of mortal ills prevailing that surround us, surrounds us to live as becomes the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Now let's stand together and sing the last two stanzas of number 521. My hope is built on nothing less. Now receive God's blessing as we depart. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all as we continue this, our short earthly pilgrimage. Amen.